Thank you for tuning your hearts in for another episode of the Hearts Rise Up podcast. I'm Carol Chapman, your host, along with my co-hosts, Ann Sari and Conchetta Antonelli. We share our own personal experiences, tips, and strategies, along with powerful stories and compelling insights from guest interviews. We're here to inspire and empower your conscious evolution, help you tap into your inner wisdom and rise to your heart-centered higher self. Together, we can rise to a higher level of consciousness, an elevated state of being, and experience more love, joy, and freedom. Thank you for tuning your hearts in for another episode of this podcast. I'm Carol Chapman, your host for this episode. I am just delighted today to introduce our featured guest, Alberto Roman. Alberto has led transformation practices for over 30 years. He has studied with renowned spiritual leaders to deepen his ongoing relationship with transcultural shamanic paths. He's had two documentary films and a book chronicling his studies and practices in entheo, shamanic wisdom, and transpersonal rituals. The Shaman and Ayahuasca is a film and a book. The other film is Bali, Talking to Spirits. Ooh, I love that title. Alberto is also a Pachacuti Mesa carrier, and you're going to tell us a little bit more about that. UNESCO Art Award recipient, and a fabulous musician. Music is the basis of everything in his life. Alberto also leads transformational retreats with a focus on healing, meditation, and plant medicine. He has degrees in philosophy and psychology, and he's worked with marginalized populations such as the homeless, abused women, and children. Welcome, Alberto, to the Hearts Rise Up podcast. Thank you for having me on your show. And I want to thank your audience who are walking a path that brings benefit to themselves, the ones they love, and the planet. May all you love thrive. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think our audience will definitely appreciate that because that's really what it's all about. So I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your background and your journey, where you got to where you are today. Oh, I love the question. It gives me a chance to review the decades of my experience and existence on the planet. Thank you. I was born in Costa Rica many, many decades ago, and I was born to a beautiful time in the history of that country. There were sloths and hummingbirds and all sorts of birds and orchids when I grew up. So I was affected by that climate, that condition. It really influenced my imagination and my sense of belonging and well-being. I had two sets of parents growing up. My biological parents, my father was from Nicaragua, my mother was from Costa Rica. And they were only able to hold their marriage for maybe five years. And then my aunt and uncle took us under their wing 
and they were responsible for bringing me to the States and studying here. And throughout my life, I have been going back and forth between both cultures and both landscapes. I studied in Costa Rica and I studied here in the States, first in psychology and then I went into philosophy. But I always kept in touch with a certain kind of sensibility that I have deep in my heart. And the challenge has been to honor all of those different interests that I have. So I've been doing this for a long time. The impulse to heal and to bring balance is obviously rooted in my own personal ordeals and questions on how to integrate all of that, because those were traumatic experiences. I mean, coming to a new country, family of origin, breakup, adopting to a new family. So it's been a very rich and challenging journey in how to bring it all together. And I have found that the shamanic path, which is a way of being in the world, there's a lot of ways to be on this planet. You can be a materialist, an idealist, nihilist, agnostic, or belong to several religious affiliations. There's a lot of ways to be here, but I found that the shamanic path as a choice brings me the kind of balance at all levels of my being that I find the right tone. How were you introduced to the shamanic path? And you mentioned, too, growing up in Costa Rica and that environment played with your imagination. There was something you mentioned about your Mm -hmm. imagination. Mm -hmm. So did that have any influence on heading in the direction of a shamanic path? Completely. I mean... Any of us who have gone out to a beach or a mountain or have seen something that just moves you, that grabs your imagination, that we might even call beauty, and beauty is a complex experience. Growing up in Costa Rica, I was embedded in that. So it's like a mode of being, a mode of perception, a heartfelt resonance with the world. It's an aesthetic sensibility. So that has impacted my way of being and the way I show up also when I offer transformational work, so definitely so. Because I do think environment matters. Living in a farm is very different than living in a inner city or living in a desert or living in a deep African space or in the cold. It sets up imaginative narratives. So you mentioned that you have had some challenges along the way, having... Grown up in Costa Rica and coming here to the U.S. and two sets of parents. Share a little bit about challenges that you've experienced. The list is long. I will definitely say that learning to speak a new language is learning to inhabit a new world. So language does beget reality. So having to adjust the perceptions and the way I conceptualized experience in Spanish, and then trying to accommodate that or shift that or understand how that operated in the English language was a challenge that is still part of my path. Because if language begets world, then it's important how we speak to one another and how we define what's going on. So that's been an ongoing practice that I do like. The other one, I think, is having to deal with loss. Because I I think um, my personal challenge or ordeal has been having to understand what loss is. Because coming to the States, it was losing Costa Rica, losing my parents. And so belonging and solitude have been the ongoing 
yin and yang of my own personal path. When do I need to belong? When do I need to be in solitude? And, and I think that's a universal question overall. But for me, that's been the emphasis of my path. It still goes on. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So share with me a little bit more about some insight as a result of that experience that you have had. Oye, chica, man. Well, when I'm in a, let's call it a reactive space around loss, the most important thing I've learned through these traditions, philosophical traditions and practices, is how to be spacious enough to not collapse into the content. Because I have collapsed into the content. Um, growing up? Or is that still something that you struggle with? No, I'm pretty good now at allowing the content to emerge and being skillful about playing with it and releasing it. So now I have choice as to whether I will back off, confront, leave it alone, keep moving, you know. So that's something that I... So is it sort of an intuitive thing now? Yes, yes. You really have kind of honed in and perfected more of your intuitive abilities. That's an excellent way of framing it because that is the fruit. There are many fruits to these paths, but that's one of them, that ability to flow and to be open enough to be sensitive to the evolutionary needs of the moment. And that's intuition. And being able to not only see it and experience it and feel it with yourself, but anyone else that's in your environment and that you're interacting with. Yeah, we call it clairsentience, right? Yeah. Clear feeling. That is one of the fields of virtue and power that emerge in all of these practices. I mean, it emerges in shamanism, but it can it emerge in any transformational work. There, there does seem to be a universal or human-wide experience that's spoken about or gotten to in different ways, but we do attain certain kinds of powers, yeah. Why did you, I'm just going to shift gears, why did you pursue philosophy and psychology? What drew you into? Those are natural-born tendencies. Because obviously, I mean, you use that in your work for 30 years, yeah. having that foundation. I'm curious as to what drew you, you in know, that direction. I, I, I'm more like Fernando Bull. I, I like to sit under a tree and just be astounded and astonished by what's going on in front of me. So I prefer that than having to go into the bull ring. But I will go into the bull ring, of course. It's a natural tendency. I'm in awe. I'm astonished. What is going on here? I, I think that's really basically the three fundamental questions are, we are here, something's going on because you and I are talking, and it seems to change and evolve. And from there, we create all kinds of beautiful things around it. So I love, I love the mystery, just the mystery of being here, this happens and we co-participate in it. Mm -hmm. That in itself I find intriguing and more uh, sweeter now as I get older because I'm less tempted to believe in my own interpretation as an absolute. That's a gift. That openness, that spaciousness, that buoyancy. So at what point in your life did things begin to shift for you? In, in which way? Because I've had a lot of shift. I think, um, well, in terms of the work that you spent 30 years working with marginalized populations. So that takes a lot of hard work, 
there's a lot that you have to dig deep within yourself to help others. And at some point, you have to make sure that you're nurturing and nourishing yourself as well. So I'm just wondering, at what point in your life did you start to see some shifts that kind of moved you in the direction beyond mm -hmm. what you were doing to help other people, but now you're doing it on, I think, even a bigger scale with this transformational First work. of all, let me thank you for acknowledging and appreciating God, thousands of people that walk with other people and bring him love and peace and some sort of healing. So thank you for acknowledging that. It takes a lot out of you to be able to do that. It can if you're not balanced, but I think like people like social workers and teachers and nurses and other people that are not as recognized, I just want to say thank you to them too. Now, whoever's listening. Okay, so language begets reality. Nature begets purpose. And I did not feel complete. After doing all that work, I felt I still wasn't expressing my music enough mm. or expressing my art enough. And I felt that regardless of where I was, I had to take a leap. And so one day I took the leap. I quit work. And at that time, I was, I was meditating at the local Buddhist monastery here in Atlanta, Drepung Los Link, which is the seat of the Dalai Lama, for those of you who are in the Buddhist path. And I uh, finished my meditation. And I went to put my shoes back on. On the board was driver needed for Tibetan monks wow. tour. And I said, well, why not? So I went in, I talked to the administrators. They gave me an interview and they said, okay, drive them. And from then on, all kinds of stuff opened up. Oh, I absolutely yeah. love that. So that was really a big aha, uh -huh, a big yeah. shift for you. No matter where you're at, no matter what your fear is, I think not listening to a deeper call, if you feel that you're still incomplete with what you have to bring to the planet, be, you know, smart about it, protect your interests, you know, you don't need to like jump and sell your house and, you know, and, you know, divorce or whatever. Be mindful, but also be aware that if you don't do that, when you die, your mind is going to ask your soul, did you live up to you were supposed to be? I think that's a big question that all of us need to answer, and maybe we'll have to answer that at some point. Yeah, yeah, and it's an ongoing thing because, yeah, it's an ongoing thing, I think, for everybody, but, you know, as you fulfill it more and more, I, I find that there's also an ease that comes with it from having responded with heart and with intelligence to those deeper calls. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So when that shift occurred for you, what happened from there? Really explored more of your music and your art when you said you really weren't doing as much or not as much. Several things together. Before that, I had rolled a little bit with some famous curanderos, some famous shamans. I was their shamanic musician. Once I did the thing with the Tibetan monks, I was at a ceremony in Asheville. I was singing my songs, we were having a great time, and I didn't know who, that a participant there was a major filmmaker. Oh, really? Yeah, that's how I got to do all of this. Man, I love what you're doing in ceremony. Do you have a CD? I go, as a matter of fact, I do, because previously I had done a CD with a local studio here called Intuitive Sound. Beautiful CD. Gave it to him, he goes, oh, I'll send you something in a couple of weeks. And so next thing I get is this DVD, and this man has been to Tibet, and 
done all these amazing things is a big wig in music production and, and wow great and so beautiful he calls me up about a month later he goes man i have an idea are you up for this you want to go to the amazon and do a documentary on ayahuasca and shamanism and we can enroll our friend don jose i think you can enroll him and i go wow so I called Don Jose in, in Pucallpa. Hey, call Don Jose, man. Mira, esto está buenísimo. Vamos, vamos. And he goes, yeah, man, let's do it. So we make the documentary in a book, which was a beautiful journey being in the... In a book? Yeah, in the Amazon. Amazon. Those are the books we referred to earlier on. It was fantastic. And that does very well. And then he said, bro, been to Bali. You got to go to Bali. I know everybody in Bali because I was in Bali before I became this thing. So my friend Michael Weezy knew all the Balians, all the healers, all the artists, you know, who are now in, by then they were now in their 60s and 70s. Wow. And so he, let's make a documentary of that other Bali, what the Balinese experience, the animism, mm -hmm. the rituals. So we made a documentary there too. And then things just kept opening up. You know, hey man, you want to do a, a ceremony? Okay. And then people solicit me, or every now and then I'll open up a group. So it's been going on like that. I have a chance to go to Thailand the next couple of months and open up some groups there, groups in Guatemala. So my approach has been, okay, I'll keep walking this path until the path tells me, thank you, you're complete, go watch the sunset. So it's been evolving. Well, for a while there, I thought, okay, I feel complete. I feel that I've been of service. Because higher awakened visionary mind has to have a pragmatic service function. You can be, you can be in all kinds of superb states, but if you don't bring it down to something tangible, then it's just like a spiritual bypass to me. So I felt it was, okay, I'm kind of cool. I've done some few ceremonies, turned on a few people, and then I thought I was done, and then people kept coming, requesting, and now it's actually taking another kind of level. So we'll see what happens with that. And by level, I mean I'm getting invited to bigger places, and I'm dreaming also of redesigning the ceremonies, and there's a thousand ways to do it, and they're all beautiful and good. But for the folks that show up here, for me and in the States and other places, it's a specific set of folks. Who is your ideal participant? My ideal participant is anyone who understands that life, their life, is still bigger than they ever dreamed. And they walk with that and be part of that. So there's usually some healing. You know, healing takes place at all kinds of levels. There's that intrapersonal stuff, how I think, how I organize my emotions. There's that interpersonal stuff, I relate to my people, society, and the transpersonal. But most of the time, it's the transpersonal that grabs them, even though they're doing their own psychological developmental healing. It's that broader awareness or recognition that this is vast and that the way we perceive it at this point is just one way of perceiving it. So one of the things that the entheogens do, or what I call now entheoelixirs, is that they give you immediate access to the vastness of the cosmos and all the possibilities within it. So people get inspired. And yeah, and okay, I need to do this. I need to talk to my daughter and my son and say this. I need to talk to my boss. I need to take a vacation. I'm done. 
retirement package. I want to travel. I want to love. I just want to be fully, fully present. That often happens. So those are the kinds of transformational changes that occur in people when they have gone through your ceremonies. Yes. And I say that with a couple of qualifications because, you know, you, you might have the realization, the big awakening, the big bright. Nevertheless, in order to get to that, in order to have positive performance outcomes, it takes practice. I like that. Yeah. You know? Well, everything takes practice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just being the musician that you are and the artist that you are and the transformational change leader that you are, it takes practice. It hasn't happened overnight. No, no. So what do people do when they've gone through your experience and they need to put things into practice? I know you're kind of coming into the field a little bit and, or this way of, of being on the planet, and, but that's the ongoing question. The language they, they use is integration. After a ceremony, people get together and talk about it and they call that integration, but I'm thinking that it's better to call it an initial grounding and then the integration takes place. And the integration, I always leave that very open because people have different sensibilities. And, you know, a cognitive behavioral model might be the way A coaching model might be the way. They might need to go to a meditation retreat or change their diet. So I keep that very open. You definitely will benefit from having some sort of process that brings the experiment you just underwent together. And it just gives each individual the opportunity to take it, learn from it, grow, evolve at their own pace. That's the shamanic wisdom. Shamanism is an evolving wisdom culture. And one of the things that is recognized is everyone's got their own unique unfoldment, their own unique way of doing it. So there's really not an investment in trying to colonize you into a particular tradition or a way of being or indoctrinate you. There's always this trust that your own organic intelligence will lead you to your highest good. Throughout my life, and particularly in later years, I've had to trust that myself. There have been times in my life where I wasn't trusting of it, or I wasn't in tune with it. Can you give us an example of that? I would question and doubt myself. Mm -hmm. But I think the more that I have gotten back into meditation over the last several years, Mm -hmm. the more I understand myself better. I'm more in tune with what is going on with myself because I'm more present in the moment and more mindful of that and more mindful of my own awakened state Mm -hmm. as it is unfolding. It takes time. I'm still on this journey of enfoldment myself. And I love that you brought back the quality of silence and expansiveness because I think one of the qualities that Entheo Elixirs bring is the immediacy of those experiences. I mean, some people might meditate 20 years, 30 years, or be in therapy 20, 30 years, and all of a sudden they participate in this community, in this ancient ritual, and it's like, oh yeah, there it is, the vastness, and they see themselves, they see what they have to do, and that's part of the allure of the medicine. But I also think there's very few opportunities in our lives where we just get to sit with a group of people, be in community for four hours and share. That also is part of a larger healing that takes place without the elixirs. It's a totally new way of experiencing being in the world. There's just so 
much that we're dealing with externally that we don't have time to be with ourselves. When do you have time to sit for four or five hours by yourself and be in community and be receiving information that you inherently know is good for you and come out at the other end with a vision of beauty and awe and acceleration and inspiration? That doesn't happen very often. It's all about our perception of reality. Perception is conception. You mentioned that there's some new things that you're evolving into. What's on the horizon? As far as this kind of shamanic work goes, I'm talking to some people who want to provide the ritual experience at a larger scale, which means bringing in other modalities and other practices before the ceremony and after the ceremony to give it a more complete or open up different venues. The fact that I'm going to go to Thailand and open up some portals there, that's intriguing to me, Guatemala, and that'll take on its own life. So there's a certain kind of reward in that and seeing, I just activated something. There's a good friend of mine named Christopher Drummond in Atlanta, and he and I are working on some music. I have an idea for a CD experience. So it's been a while since I've been at the studio, so I'm looking forward to doing that. It's good stuff. That sounds exciting. Oh, man, no, the one I want to do. Okay, I've been working on this for a while, and I haven't been able to get it the way I've done it. What I want to do is a collective ritual in Atlanta, where I'm located right now. There's this place called Stone Mountain. From what I understand, it used to be where all the female shamans would gather, and that was their portal. A good friend of mine, Tom Blue Wolf, beautiful, lovely man, was, was telling me about it. He goes, oh, this is the perfect spot, brother. We got to do this with all the female shamans would get and communicate with each other throughout the Southeast. So what I want to do is do a collective city ritual where we go up to the top of the mountain and do a shamanic ritual that will create this floating imaginal pyramid over Atlanta. And so whenever you're driving or whenever you're doing something, you can connect with the pyramid and know everything's okay. It's performance art, but it's also high magic. Exactly. That's what I'm up to. That's like the big project. It's all about protecting the space because yes. it's sacred space. Yes. Yeah, and it brings it back to another kind of history. It's first history. I've never heard of that before. I almost had it. And then I applied for some grants and the people were not seeing what I'm seeing with it. So it'll happen. You seem like a very humble person, but I know that you've had some impact on some people in your lives. Is there something you'd like to share, some influence and some impact? I'd love to learn more. There was one time when I was talking to somebody from the African-American community when I was in treatment, and I could see his heart of a warrior, of a noble warrior, and just acknowledging that and his response of crying and being seen, that was great. Because I saw him and it made him want to change and live up to that. Yeah, moments where I've seen people and we've seen each other and in that intimacy, like there's this expansion and affirmation. That's lovely. I've had a lot of those in my life. And it's like a certain vulnerability for yeah. them to be seen and for someone to be there and hold space. From the... Shamanic work, I really appreciate and enjoy the light in people's eyes when we're done. They'll thank me. To me, they're overly generous. I show up, I try to organize it, I try to give it an aesthetic from the traditions that I love. 
but it's their own self beauty that's manifesting. So I create a space for a space to show up. That's really what I do. Oh, I love that. And this is something I probably should have asked earlier. To help our listeners, what is shamanism? Shamanism is, from my perspective, an evolving wisdom culture, which means that it moves, it adapts. Let's say we're in the 21st century for some. So we are able to bring all kinds of different traditions into our practice. It is a series of knowledge gathering practices that are applied to a specific habitat who has its own agency and power. And I know it's a very broad answer, but I think it is controlled transcendence. You go into a certain kind of altered sentience, but you're able to move it and guide it so you don't totally collapse in some Dionysian frenzy. It's that. And it's based on love. When I'm in ceremony, one of the things that I'll do is I sing this song, and then I interpret what the words are in Spanish. And as that is, I ask him to go back to that first shaman, that first curandera in their lineage and ask him why they started doing, why that curandera started doing the work. And it's always love. Love begets the universe. They'll always come back to that. Yeah. And there's a lot of philosophies and ways of life that are based on love. Yes. The art is getting us all to see the way we're all loving each other. And we need to be more loving of one another yeah. because that's what the universe is all about. And I think for people like yourself and myself, we are the people of the bridge. Our response to this planet right now is to bridge or to heighten the momentum to our more positive way of balancing all of this because we do have to regulate resources, mine the waters, mine the animals mind how other humans are living. And that's a complex task. But if you're working with a vision of the greater good, it'll happen. We can make it happen. I think that's a great way of putting it, being a bridge, a bridge to many things, yeah. being able to commune and share with one another, a bridge to broader awakenings yes. and unfoldment, where we're at within this space and beyond. Do you have a particular philosophy or mantra that you live by? There's a saying in Costa Rica, and we say pura vida. Pura vida means it's pure life. In Quechua, is sumac causai, which means what a beautiful way to live, what a beautiful way to be. And it's a sensibility. A lot of what these traditions get you to be with is a sensibility. It's a way to respond for yourself and for the environment. So that pura vida, sumac causai, way of being is very deep in me. How does it show up in your life? Well, sitting here with you. That's sweet. Unexpected. You're a lovely, lovely person. Oh, I like it. Thank you. For me, that's pura vida. That's like, wow, it's unexpected. It's sweet. It's like an orchid. You're walking, you see an orchid or, my God, listen to the, the texture and the velvety song of that bird. That kind of thing. Yeah, I love the term that you use, pure life. Anything else before we get into what I call our lightning round that you'd like to share? Experience yourself as an exalted creature of pure wisdom, magic, and of open-ended knowledge, creating benefit in all ways, my beautiful friends. Thank you for that. What's your favorite pastime? Sitting underneath a tree, 
doing nothing and watching it all go down. I had a feeling you were going to say something like that. Yeah. What lifts you up? When I'm involved in some kind of creative enterprise that I feel totally engaged in it, I see it, I feel it, I know the notes, I know what it's supposed to look like, that helps out. But also people loving each other. I know it sounds a bit, but watching that kindness, tender mercies, somebody does a simple, gentle gesture, you see it. You see the light happening. That's cool to me. We need more of that in the world. Yeah. We need to just really open our eyes to it because it's all around us. There's this story about frogs in wells. And the story is that this frog in a little well, and all it hears is its own, and it's completely fascinated by its own ribbit. But then one day, the frog is a little bit quiet, and hears there's something else above. And somehow, after a while, it manages to leap up and get on the ground, and it starts to hop around and looks and sees this other bunch of silos with other frogs going red. And the frog goes, wow, and decides, no, I'm moving. So it keeps hopping through the field until it moves through the little forest and it runs right into the ocean and its head explodes. It didn't know it was that awesome. (laughs) I love that. What helps you feel grounded and centered? Wow. It might not be sitting under a tree. It's not. It's not. I'm just grounded and centered. Well, that's a good response. You just naturally are? Yeah, more than ever. It must be all the shamanism practices that you've been doing for years and years. My neural wiring has been repatterned. (laughs) That's awesome. What favorite book would you like to share, or is there a particular go-to resource that you could point people to? Oh, well, that's different. Okay. I must confess, I love the French continental philosophers. So I think that's a very rich vein for all of us, especially if you like theory. But as far as the shamanic tradition, the Pachacuti Mesa people are doing some interesting stuff because they're able to integrate Western esoteric practices with contemporary shamanic rituals. So it's a very rich tradition. I like them. It's gentle. It's based on love. It's based on reverence. It's based on community. It's based on balance. We've been talking about superlative altered states, but in reality, the shamanic worldview is very simple. It's about balance. Get yourself in balance. If you're feeling a little dense, a little heavy, a little weird, how do you feel lighter? And how do you feel like you're in groove with wherever you're supposed to be. That's really it. So there's little rituals for it. I'll offer something to the mountain or I'll pet my cat. It's really more basic than some of the outrageously beautiful claims that are made for it. But it's just being in balance. Almost Taoist, I would say. I like that. Instead of woo-woo is wu-wei. You know, allow, be with, balance, skilled, yeah. I never have really liked the term woo-woo. I know. It's nothing as woo-woo. Well, way, yes, a Taoist term. Open bone, you know, hollow, reed. Well, all along your journey, I'm sure there's been people that have influenced your life. What's the best advice you've received from someone? My, um, God, there's so many. What I call my Aunt Layla was my second mother. She 
taught me the virtue of just staying humble, just stay with where you're at and be grateful for that. Isn't that interesting? I picked up on that, and it's come through. That's wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) That's okay. Those are beautiful tears. What? Shamans are warriors, man. It's love for her, though. It's the love love that you have for her. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. It's the love. What advice might you have for others? You are made from an inexhaustible source of power and love. In this planet, the ordeal will come. The night in the desert, yellow fog, the violence, the confusion. Stay with that deep, deep, deep intelligence in your heart that is based on love, on compassion and kindness. Be kind, be kind. And you'll move through it. You'll move through the mirage. You'll move through the aggrandizing, the inflation, the resentment. But you've got to have a practice. You've got to have a place where you are listening to that. That's beautiful. That's great advice. A much better world. Can you imagine where we'd be? Yes. The party, the festival, I the, know. the carnival? We'd be celebrating all the time oh, because the we'd just be practicing loving kindness. One last question. If you were to leave this earth today and be reborn, what would you like to come back as? To come back to this earth? Because I can locate my consciousness with my fellow Mayans in the seventh dimension. Wherever you want to be. Where would you go or what would you come back as? I think I would come back as a hummingbird somewhere, like, yeah, somewhere in, in the jungles of Costa Rica. Me and my pack. Beautiful. I love hummingbirds. In the Andean tradition, it is only the hummingbird that can see the face of the divine. It's the only ally animal, and then the hummingbird brings it to you. So it's an ally of love and surprise and gift, endurance, all kinds of qualities. Alberto, thank you so much for being on our show. This has been an awesome conversation. My honor. And I'm hoping that in the future we can bring you back after you have explored and done some other things that are in the process of unfolding. I'd be honored. Thank you for being such an awesome listener, an intelligent person. You ask some really good questions. I've done a lot of interviews, and this is probably my favorite. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, it's been my pleasure. We hope today's show helped to bring a bit more joy and happiness into your heart. We hope it inspired you to unleash your inner power and rise up to your best and loving heart-centered highest self. We'd be grateful if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews are important to spreading this valuable message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and share the show with others. Visit heartsriseup.com for heart-centered courses, guided meditations, and our popular notes from your higher self. Until next time, follow the path with heart, be a light to those that need it, and may all that you love thrive.